Hi, everybody. Adam Cook from Campus Inc. in the NIL store. Want to say real quickly, thank you so much for listening and joining us on this journey. And as a reminder, if you ever need any custom merchandise, youth jerseys, camp t-shirts, whatever it may be, you can always find us at campus.inc. And of course, for all your NIL needs, nil.store. We're going to jump into the episode. I hope you enjoy. And here's a podcast on what the heck we're doing. Just three jamokes trying to figure out NIL. (laughs) Hey, everyone. This is Steven from Campus Inc. We got Sean and Adam today with us. I guess we call it the NIL show, week two. Uh, two. But we're going to dive into uh, NIL. We're going to interrogate Sean a little bit today. Um, Sean, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, this is Sean Ellenby. Um, Got to forgive my voice. I was at a wedding over the weekend with one of my best friends uh, back I'm back in Baltimore. Um, I'm from Baltimore. Uh, grew up there. Went to University of Maryland. Uh, and after I graduated, I worked in college athletics. Bounced around a few different places, but I worked in the communications, media relations field. Um, a lot of people like to officially call my role SID. Um, sports information director. I find that extremely dorky as bad nerdy <laughs> connotations. Nerd alert. Um, we like to see ourselves as PR guys, uh, public relations professionals um, who were in charge of building the brand at, at our school. For me, it was at Maryland. Um, and so, yeah, for the last eight years, I was back at Maryland, my alma mater, and it was just incredibly special to work for my alma mater and, and help athletes and uh, University of Maryland. So my first four years back, I worked with men's lacrosse uh, and I was the secondary with our football team. And so I always said with those two sports, I worked the most games and, or no, excuse me, I worked the least games and had the most athletes. So football would have 12 games in a season. Lacrosse would have 15, but lacrosse had 60 players on a team. Football had 120 players on a team. So not many games, a lot of athletes to get to know. Uh, And then after that, I spent the last four years uh, working with men's basketball, PR guy for men's basketball at Maryland. Uh, And it was really, it was a dream job for me um, where I got to uh, build the brands of our athletes at Maryland, put them in positions to succeed, uh, pitch stories, uh, find great storylines about our team to make people come out to our game, support us, follow us on social media, whatever it might be, spread the good word about Maryland basketball. But for years and years and years, I was always telling players, like, you have a platform right now. I want you to use it. I want you to build as many followers as you can so that when you eventually graduate, you can make money off of your brand that you've already built from that time that you put in. Um, And so there were some players that got it and some that didn't really get it. Um, For the most part, they didn't get it. But for those few that did, (laughs) they, they, it paid off for them. It paid off for them. They were able to start clinics. They were able to do merch. Um, And then next thing you know, NIL comes along and, and what we were talking about, was in the future for athletes is very much in the present now. Um, so it's all kind of come full circle as I've jumped over to this other side now in the NIL space. Yeah. And you, so you do all of the marketing and PR for us on the NL side. So, you know, as you see all of our uh, blog posts and signings and really cool content on our social channels, Sean's the, the genius behind it. But um, I think one of the cool things that you and I chat about, and for me, one of the most fascinating things about just your experience is the fact that you were 
working directly with a team uh, during the first year of NIL legislation changes. So um, I'm just, I, I just love hearing you rap about this. Like what, what were some of the biggest shifts from like, let's say, you know, 2020 that was pre NIL era moving into 2021, where there's this whole new ball game available. Um, how, how did that change working with the athletes, working with the teams, working in the program? Yeah. So, well, first of all, it was all, when it, when it first happened, first of all, you're coming off of this bizarre 2020 season uh, and COVID Seriously. where nobody was really in the office at all. Um, the only people were in, that were in the office were people that worked directly with the teams. Otherwise, everybody was working remotely. Um, and right. so there wasn't as much like conversation that you would normally have like water cooler conversation when you're in the kitchen with somebody like, how about this NIL stuff? Are you hearing about this? Like what, what's going on? <laughs> and, um, and so there wasn't too much conversation. And then I think we all kind of thought like we, we all wanted NIL to happen. Like if we're working in college athletics, we want college athletes to succeed and right. we want them to make money. Um, and, but I think we all kind of just felt like at some point here, like, yeah, they're saying July 1st, but I don't know. Is this really going to happen? You just, I wasn't confident that it was going to go through. And then next thing you know, it, it's July 1st and it's, it's really happening. And you have, I remember the, I think it was LSU was really, really good. They had a giant billboard ready to go on July 1st, just talking about NIL with their athletes. And I remember being like, man, LSU, they were ready. They killed it. Um, yeah. They did a good job. Yeah. But it really, it, it, it was, it was interesting. Um, I remember talking to one of our star basketball players early on. Um, his name's Eric Ayala. Awesome, awesome guy. Um, and he was definitely Maryland's star player. And I, it was probably two months in and I was like, Eric, how are things going so far? What do you think about this NIL stuff? And he's like, I love it. It's awesome. Like I can finally make some money. Um, I was like, what, what has been like the biggest challenge? And he's like, honestly, I, it's, it's, I, I feel like a lot of times I don't have time. Um, he said that I wish if I was, I, he says, I would tell the freshmen on the team now, find sports marketing classes in college because yeah. I wish I had known sports hmm. marketing and business, right? To, to yeah. help myself better understand how to push and how to find deals. So Sean, so like July 1st rolls around, it's kind of the wild west was there a lot that the schools were doing maybe your perspective at Maryland to quickly like offer resources and help? Because like you literally have just opened up this massive like pen of opportunity with people that might not be versed in marketing, business deals, contract negotiation, all that stuff. So like, what did, were you guys able to like offer resources, help? Tell us about that. Yeah. So that was the other strange part of it was we were connected in a sense, but not totally connected from, from the standpoint of University of Maryland. All we could do was educate our athletes and provide resources on what NIL is, who, who to talk yep. to, where to go for resources. So I remember just like every other school at that point, you're talking to the open doors you're talking to the influencers. Um, and you're talking to these different platforms that were really set in place to help athletes uh, find deals, find those marketplaces. Do you think it was distracting or like for them, like, was that ever a concern of the athletic department being like, oh, geez, this is going to distract them? I mean, if, 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 
they thought that it was going to be distracting. Um, they certainly didn't say it out loud because the last thing you want to do is be the coach or the athletic department that is making an excuse for why your players shouldn't be making money. Like flat out players aren't going to go yeah. to your school if you're saying, oh, I don't know if this is good <laughs> for the athletes. Now behind closed yeah. doors, they're probably thinking, ah, this is a little bit distracting. But to be honest with you, I, I really felt like our players – they were pretty good about it. They understood when it was time to go to work, play ball, when it was time to work on some deals. Um, and when it was time, obviously to get their schoolwork done. But, um, I, I think players also quickly, um, from a business standpoint, they kind of learned who can I trust around me to really help me uh, understand, is this a deal that's good for yeah. me? Is whether it's my mom or my dad or a brother or yeah. a family friend, but, um, and some, some guys hired agents. Um, so it was a little bit different for everybody. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the really interesting things that we're seeing now, right? Like 10 months into this, that schools are starting to understand where they need to kind of bolster some of yeah. that education and support and help. Um, just from, you know, helping the students understand what's a good deal versus a bad deal. And that's where some of the cool professional development opportunities come in this NIL space. But how did, how did it change? Like, how did it change your job? Like the day to day of your job being that frontline helper in terms of their image and, yeah. and media relations and whatnot? Yeah. So I, I was actually really proud of our team uh, from the standpoint of, I thought that we, already did a tremendous job putting our athletes first and building their brands. Um, that was something that was really, really important to us. It might not have been the same at other departments, but it was for us. So I already felt like we were kind of ahead of the game from that standpoint. Um, but really what it changed was we were much more cognizant about whenever, like I would tell our graphic guy, anytime you're making a graphic, put his handle on the graphic. I want people finding yeah. him as easy as possible. Something as simple as on a website where the roster is listed, you should see the clicks on those roster pages. People are viewing the rosters all the time. They yeah. allowed you to put the, the player's individual handle on their roster page. And I, and since I've come over here to Campus Inc., um, there's been a number of times where I've gone to look up an athlete really quick and I'll go to the roster page just to find their handle and it's not listed hmm. there. And this is like a big power yeah. five school. And I'm like, it's such an easy thing to do to help out your athlete, get their handle on, on your roster page. Yeah. So, um, yeah. so that's like, that's like an indirect way of saying, look, the school can't necessarily help them get deals, but at least they can point people to their brand. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. We had giant, uh, we had giant like billboard things in our arena where our players would kind of rotate through on the billboard. And it, that was a place where I was like, get their social handle on there. I want people following yeah. these guys. The more followers they have, the better chance at a deal they're going to get. Sean, did you guys have to, did you help teach the athletes what they could post and what they couldn't post? Meaning like we just saw some wild posts over the weekend from Michigan <laughs> right. Um, was there ever, I don't want to use the word censorship, but like, were you guys ever monitoring just to make sure like, okay, that's okay. Watch out for that. Be careful of this. Watch out for that image. I, I would, I would monitor all the time. I was always watching what our guys were doing. Um, I needed to have a pulse and beat on what they were doing. In fact, when we would sign athletes, um, 
I had a list of terms that I would put in the Twitter search engine with their handle. And I would search through and just see, does he have any tweets where he said this word or this word or this word or this word? Because the last thing that I wanted was for us to go to the national title game. We win a national title. That kid hits a game winning shot. And later that night, he's getting dragged for a tweet that he had eight years ago and his night is ruined. Right. Right. So like that was really big for us. The moment that they signed with us, we were going through and we were vetting their social accounts. And then after that, I think, yeah, go go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that, you know, what you're talking about with Eric's perspective and his advice, right. To younger guys, Hey, leverage some sports marketing classes or some, some opportunities across the campus. And then what you're saying is I'm constantly going to be having a pulse on what all of our athletes are doing, whether or not they're one of the, you know, five starters or a bench guy. I think that's one of the things that as we continue to talk with more athletes, I'm finding myself push more and more is there are an unbelievable amount of those unspoken resources at your school that you can leverage, right? Just because your school doesn't have an NIL office or an NIL coordinator doesn't mean that you can't think of how NIL is impacting your life and go chat with, we were talking with an athlete this morning about taxes. She's like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to deal with taxes come next year. It's like, well, go chat with an accounting professor or go chat with your career center who works with, you know, in, in this industry, there's so many resources that they can leverage in really creative ways. I love that. I think what's, what's most interesting is like when NIL broke, you created almost like, I don't know how many hundred thousands of college athletes there are, Adam. I don't know. What's the number? hundred, 180 and some change. 180,000. Division one. Sole proprietors, business people. Like, you are a walking, talking business now. Yeah. And that means you've got marketing, accounting, contract negotiation, yep. laws, yep. intellectual property, brands. Yep. And you've literally just infused 180,000 sole proprietors that are now capitalizing on something. And I also heard of some, some, some issues where like a player signed you know, a bad contract and they had to write a blog once a week. <laughs> yeah that is a bad contract one of the more interesting things that i heard there were media companies like local media companies that were signing athletes to do a weekly appearance like whether it's a podcast appearance or weekly show appearance whatever it might be and i found that one as a media guy interesting because we always kind of controlled Hey, you, yeah, you shouldn't go on with that guy. Like we could never say outright, you cannot do this, but we, you know, we had a good feel for this one is worth your time. We didn't want them to waste their time with anything. And so, yeah, those, that was an interesting deal for me when I saw those coming through. Adam, can I switch gears for a second so we can talk a little bit about the role that schools can play, right? Because as Sean talked about it at first, schools had to just offer resources and education, right? Yep. And they yep. had to, they can't really take an active role in a player's NIL. How are the rules changing? What are you starting to see? Because now things are changing. Yeah. So, so the, the, really the crazy thing about it all was that it was totally different state by state. So the universities were even a little bit beholden to either how progressive or how conservative their state legislation interpretation of the NIL laws were. So that created this additional massive imbalance where you had certain schools in certain states that could take a very active, proactive, 
leadership role in the way that their their athletes participated in NIL. And you had other states that had to be, or schools in states that had to be completely hands off. And what I think that's demonstrated over the last year is that, you know, in retrospect, that was a little bit of an oopsies from, uh, you know, the NCAA or, or how we approached applying some of the change in legislation. And so we're starting to see a lot of the states that have had that really restrictive legislation walk it back and see, you know, exactly the bad cases of athletes signing up to have to write a blog once a month or once a week. Schools don't want their athletes to get into that deal. And they realize we should be the ones that can help them navigate this a little bit. And so um, over the last couple of weeks, and it's going to continue to move this way, but we're starting to see schools recognize that almost buffer role that they can play for their athletes and, and be an advocate, not in blocking them from participating in NIL, but guiding them towards things that are going to be helpful, lucrative, beneficial, and educational in this NIL space. And I think that's interesting because we are starting to see more and more marketing agencies spin up to help yep. athletes. Yep. And at the end of the day, they want to make money. They want to make their athletes money. But this isn't professional sports. Sean, could you talk a little bit about the life of a student athlete and what like because I it blows my mind just to hear what they have to go through on a weekly basis in season while trying just, you know, if, if you could tell us a little bit about that, because I think this is, this is what we really have to differentiate is how college sports are different than professional sports. Cause it's, it's a huge part of NIL. Yeah. I mean, these are, these are young adults whose entire day is regimented and scheduled out. And I actually remember at times where I was like, I kind of wish I had my scheduled out like that by somebody else. That kind of sounds nice. Um, but, but then when you actually dig your teeth in and you actually see the meat of everything that they have the entire day, they're getting up at 6 a.m. so they can get to their workout uh, before breakfast. They're having breakfast and then they're going to class from 9 to 1 or whatever it might be. Then they have, uh, then they have their practice from – two to four and then you have dinner and then you're doing a little bit of schoolwork at home and then you're probably getting back in the gym later that night and then you're starting all, all over yeah. again the next day. I mean, Adam, you can probably speak to it too. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, that's, that's during practices, game days and traveling is a whole new ballgame, yeah, right? right? And, you know, fortunately the, the, the ecosystem of the university is supportive in this, but I remember being on the road after a, a big loss and having a paper that's due that night. So, you know, you just get your heart ripped out in, in a loss. You go back to the hotel room and you're sitting there and you're like, well, I guess now I have to finish this submission and, and put this in. Um, it's just shifting gears so quickly. I remember a, a, a kind of crazy story. We were driving home. This is when I was coaching uh, at Cal Baptist and we were driving home from a game in San Diego and one of our athletes had a paper due at midnight. Um, she had a professor who maybe was a little less accommodating, but we're, we're on the bus on the way home and we had to pull over at a Starbucks so that she could go in and access Wi-Fi to submit her paper by the deadline. Like the amount of things that you're balancing on a moment by moment basis is unbelievable. I remember we were on the road one time with basketball and we were, it was a massive game. We're on the road and it's the night before the game. And I think, 
um, a few of us staff members, support staff members, not the coaches, we had gone out for a couple of drinks and I remember coming back and we're, we passed the study hall. It's probably like 1130 at night. We passed the study hall room and there's Bruno Fernando in there doing a paper. And Bruno is a guy who was going to be in the NBA literally three months later. Uh, and, and I just remember like looking in at this image of this seven footer sitting there doing his paper. He's about to be a millionaire. Um, but this is what he's got to do to stay eligible. And it's late at night, the night before a huge game. And it's just, it, it gives you such amazing perspective on the load that's on these guys. So I, th- I think that brings the conversation of time, right? Like they are students and athletes first and everything else should come second. I guess like, do you think that over time coaches and athletic directors and stuff will look at this as somewhat of a distraction. And like, do you think that's going to have long-term effects of like, Hey guys, you're doing way too many signings and appearances. Like you got, we have priorities here. You think that's ever going to happen? I, I don't think it will be. Um, I think it's going to become very normal. Um, what I do think is a distraction is what's going on with the collectives where players are getting offered all kinds of money to go and play at a school by these collectives of donors. That's distracting. Um, and we've seen it as Adam talked about the other day with, with uh, Mr. Wong from Miami, but um, the actual, what NIL was intended to be, I don't see that being a distraction. Yeah. There's going to be kids that get caught up in how much money they're making and things that they could be doing. But overall, uh, I think it'll be normalized. You brought up the Isaiah Wong thing, and that's I want to I want to chat about that for a second because that that was bananas that's to crazy. me. You, you basically have you have an athlete who comes out and says, "I'm not getting paid enough. Either pay me more, or I enter the transfer portal." Do Do you think that was Isaiah or his or his team saying that? Well, I, I mean, I think I think at that big of a market at that place when you have representation, his team saying that is him saying that, right? Family um, too. Yeah. And, you know, now we're on the other side of it and he, he walked it back a little bit. So, you know, whether or not somebody called his bluff or he decided that that wasn't the brand that he wanted to have, <laughs> you know, of this guy who, who puts the school and the collectives on blast, um, you know, but he's ending up staying at Miami. Can, can you blame him? But I, Exactly. That's what I'm about to say is like, you know, you've created this environment where there's essentially zero repercussions for him doing that. Yeah. Why, that's why wouldn't you? That's why wouldn't you? You 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 have a, a financier of a, of another player who tweets out exactly what he's paying a player to come and play at Miami. Of course, the other players are going to be jealous now. They're going to want their cut. You know, Isaiah's been at Miami for a few years. He just took them to an elite eight. He's like, "Where's my cut?" Yeah. Um, so yeah. So so here's your. I'm, I'm gonna have you put your uh, your SID hat back on, Sean. We're gonna we're gonna walk it PR back guy. a little bit. Yeah, you're you're the PR guy at Miami. Mm. This news breaks with Isaiah. What's the conversation that you have with Isaiah <laughs> about what he just did and how you handle this? That's that. If you can't see, Sean's you know grabbing the bridge of his nose in my frustration. Head in That's the hands. first thing you do. My head is in my hands. <laughs> it's such a bizarre new world, and and you know it's funny because a lot of this again. Uh, man, it's difficult because the school is not supposed to be involved with their NIL business stuff. Um, right. But it also comes back to like, for me, relationships with the players were so important. Um, 
And that's where if you had a really good relationship with him, you could kind of talk to him and be like, hey, let's let's think about this. That thing was so big. I'm not sure that there's anybody in a, in a SID role that could really yeah. do much to change that. Clearly, well, somebody talked to him and they were able to get him to walk it back a little bit. Hey, look, you don't want to be uh, seen as greedy or whatever it might and, be. And but. that's where I wonder, like, is are the ear are the are the whispers in his ears right? Representation, family, right? Like. The kid's there to play ball and to go to school. And if he's getting yapped in one ear and an agency's telling him something in the other ear and like they are adolescents, right? Right. Like I think there's some sort of social responsibility that we have to say like timeout. Is this like right? Like we, we need to like dial this back and remember that they are students and athletes first, right? Because I I don't know. I, I think our our democrat our you know our business or whatever like yeah we are monetizing and and we are making money here right like yeah. we are campus inc is a for-profit business we sell apparel yeah. but i think we have to be very conscious of of what we're doing on a day-to-day basis well and it's it's some of that what's the long-term win right like can i make a short-term win here and you know maybe squeeze a little bit more money out of a collective nil deal but where's the long-term value in that for me? Especially, you make a really good point, Stephen. You know, they're they're in their early twenties, sometimes still their teens. This is the beginning of their you know semi-professional career. It's not the end of it where they're trying to make deals that you know they're going to whatever team just to just to get as much money as they can out of the contract. This is the beginning of that where they're building their reputation of who they're going to be not just for the rest of their collegiate career, but when they go into the pros, how are they going to approach contract negotiation? How are they going to approach this role of monetizing their uh, position and their skills while also playing a team sport? Yeah. And I, I give a lot of, I, what I've started to see are like a lot of these pop-up agencies happening, right. Mm. Um, that are trying to obviously help the players and insert themselves and be in good, good capacity. But the bigger agencies who we've been working closely with, their play is much different. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they're in a long tail game yep. because they want to take these guys and make them pros. Sure. And so I give a lot of credit to the bigger agencies that are saying, look, we're not going to make any money on these guys. There's no amount of money that you're going to make a one and done during his, you know, during his freshman year, you're literally just putting in the legwork and, and the farm system. And, you know, uh, that could end up, not working out for them. But I think, you know, we all have to think about what's the long-term play versus, Hey, can we make a quick buck here? And there might be some athletes that, Hey, their time to shine is now and they're probably not going to go pro. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I felt very torn about this recently. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's, uh, you know, we talk about this a lot too, but that's, I think that's the, the other little elephant in the room is that, everything we've talked about so far has been surrounding basketball and football. And there's this other conversation around, you know, okay, Isaiah Wong does this and it reopens uh, a lot of the, the news headlines around the negative aspects of NIL. And it casts this big shadow over, you know, those other 165,000 student athletes that, are able to do actually really good things um, in the NIL space. And Sean, we were chatting with an athlete this morning who wants to 
leverage her influence, not, not off of her yeah. own athletic yeah. success, but she wants to um, use her platform to leverage social activism and empower women and talk about mental health. And she's able to do that now as a result of, of the opportunities through NIL. So Sean, talk to us about what you've been doing. Yeah. We've got some athletes in the basketball and football arena, but like we've been doing a lot for women's softball. Tell us about that. Uh, It's been pretty exciting. We have four, is it four softball athletes that we have signed? Uh, and they all play for top five teams right now. And I think we are, we're learning pretty quickly. People love softball. Uh, people love college softball. I was, I was, I don't know what I, if I was stunned, but it's I was I was pretty amazed. Alabama softball, I believe, on Instagram has one hundred ninety thousand followers. There are it's football crazy. and men's basketball teams um, that don't even have half of that. Um, so it's real; it's the real deal in the South, especially. Um, but what you also find is with these female athletes, they have great followings themselves. Um, a lot of times I've found on the, on the men's side, men's are, the men are a little bit more bashful about posting. They don't like posting as much. Whereas mm-hmm. the females are, are like, no, I, I enjoy posting. This is, yeah, let's, let's go it, yeah. for it. Um, and so, I mean, we had, uh, we had Ashley Prangy from Alabama. She's got 44,000 TikTok followers. So we had her drop her merch live on TikTok. It was awesome. It was really cool. Yeah. It was yeah, awesome. Right? I mean, she was. And then, and then the next week she, she goes yard yeah. over the scoreboard. <laughs> she's unbelievable. Um, and they like, she's on TikTok live and she has a screenshot. Like I didn't tell her to do this. I was like, look, TikTok is your domain. I trust you, whatever you want to do. And she's got behind her, like the screenshot of her merchandise. And she's like pointing to it and like scrolling around. It was awesome. It was so cool. Um, so that's like, a, that's an standard. athlete taking ownership of their brand. And I think ultimately you will see a lot of that is the cream will kind of rise, rise to the top with some athletes that are just very much into it. Ashley, she designed her own art for her shirt. Like it's just so cool. Literally from start to finish, she owned it. Um, and she had a lot of success with it too. So yeah, these softball female athletes, they're impressive. Um, and it's certainly a space that we want to continue to build out and and you had Keeley. Keeley was the next yeah, day, Keeley right? Yeah, Keeley was good. Yeah, Keeley's, Keeley's like a first-team All-American for Virginia Tech softball. Um, she, I remember when I was originally talking to her, talking to her it was in March, and um, she's in her fifth year. She, this is it for her. And I told her, I was like, Keeley, I, I know that you don't have much left, but you have a chance here to capitalize on these last couple months. You deserve it. You've earned it. Let's go for it. And she was all about it. She wanted to do it. And uh, she's she's doing a tremendous job. I think um, she is four days into her, into her sale and she's just been crushing it so far. We just dropped some, some youth shirts for her because she had all kinds of kids that follow her and love her. And she's like, we got to get youth sizes up there. So we dropped it. that today. Um, so yeah, she's rolling. I love it. It's awesome. Her design is really cool too. I one of one of my like favorite stories or interactions of when we like reach out to these uh, we'll call them you know non revenue generating athletes um, is I'll let you tell the story, Sean. But you reached out to an athlete and her response back to you was basically asking like, "Are you sure you meant to send us? Like, are you a bot?" Yeah, yeah. she yeah she said, "Is this spam?" And I was like, "No, this is not spam. <laughs> I am not a spammer. I am literally. I think that you have a chance to make money off of your likeness, and let's go for it." And there was another one too, um, who we have signed with us also, who was just like, 
you really think people would buy my stuff? And Adam, you made a great point. Like you, you, what did you say? You said, um, you, you were, what was it, the little girl analogy, right? Where she was once the little girl that looks up to her. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, regardless of what sports you play at some point, you know, you were the little girl who yeah. was going out to those games and, and being so thrilled watching somebody who was just like you play this sport at a super high level. And, and now you're that person and you, you get to even take it to the I next mean, level you of, become of selling a, merch. You become a diehard fan of the like little idols and heroes that you found out as a kid, right? Like oh, 100%. for me, it was D Brown yeah. and you know, in fifth grade or, or whatever in sixth, seventh grade, like that's why I went to Illinois yeah. cause I had all yeah. D Brown stuff. Right. And like yep. you were, we've got hometown heroes that were yeah. really letting like your, and I think that that's, that's probably the most rewarding part is when they actually start getting their stuff yeah. and their yeah. fans start getting it and they're posting about it. And like, there's no feeling that you could bottle up, but yeah. sharing that with the athletes is super fun. Yeah, I mean, think about it. Um, D, yeah, we D, had a, D, uh, D Brown was 21 at the time, right? Or 22, whatever he was. And yeah. then when you are yourself 21 or 22, you're like, he seems so much older than me at that point. So you really got to be told like, no, <laughs> yeah. this is you now. You are in this role. So yeah, it's it's kind yeah. of a it's, a, it's a wild perspective. It's It's really cool hearing from athletes like, either either seeing photos or just getting text messages yeah. about like oh i saw my shirt on campus today like oh somebody was repping cool. it in the quad like that has to be the coolest feeling and in i just love you know as we continue to do um, new merchandise colas and stuff jerseys i cannot wait for the day that we hear about an athlete who got to like walk off the court of the field and sign their jersey <laughs> after a game like that as as a collegiate athlete in that realm who may or may not go pro, what a cool achievement and like kind of that, that pinnacle moment of like, yeah, I got to sign my own Jersey today. That's really and it's, cool. It's starting to happen. I mean, at Illinois, yeah. I want to say we moved probably four or 5,000 replica jerseys. Um, yeah. and they, they were in venue. Um, they're being sold online. I mean, that's, it's cool to like, let them feel that, um, yep. and, and, and bottle it up. Let's talk about what, what we got in store coming up. Um, Sean, I don't know when this is going to get released, but a couple <laughs> cool players in the pipeline. A couple cool players. Uh, I mean, this one is you, Stephen. You've been all over this one from the beginning, Mr. Dougie Buckets. So, Dougie, um, you, so you talk about him. We'll, ha we'll have to get another episode just on on signing Mr. Mr. Eddard. Um, Sean and Adam have been prepping. That's about to launch uh, as we're recording this, launching this week. Um, yeah. Adam, you want to talk to us about what's happening in the Jersey world and what, what we're going after? Yeah. So super exciting. We're finalizing a lot of the details around, um, a Jersey line, um, that will be the NIL Jersey. So we're going to be able to provide this solution to, uh, schools and, and athletes in the school where we can do just what we said, what we've done at U of I, right. Take their jerseys and, uh, and, and sell them in, in an NIL format for them. Sweet. Well, this is exciting. Um, Sean, this is great. We're going to have to, we're going to have to run this back several times over. I, <laughs> I thought it was really unique to hear from Sean's perspective as he was literally on the ground floor with the team. Um, but in the future, we're going to, we're going to be talking about collectives because that's a hot yep. topic. Oh, uh, yeah. Licensing, hot topic. I think we're going to have some guests on. 
Yep, um, we got some guests lined up from athletic departments. We got some legislation guests some lined players. up. We got some some special guests coming. We up. got some, some players, players coming our way. We have a oh, couple yeah. big partnerships that are like finalizing right now. These guys, yep. just to put into perspective, they have over 400 athletes signed up on this platform. They're building a website from the ground up. They're handling all the PR, the marketing, the communication. And they are doing it and it, they look freaking awesome <laughs> along the way. It's fun. So. It's, it's fun to be a part of, of building something. And Sean and I, you know, we've talked about this a lot of just having come from athletics departments. It's really cool to be in a role and in a part of kind of shaping what the next era of collegiate sports is going to look like. It's really That's exciting. Cool. And Sean will be able to show this and Adam just had a kid, but you'll be able to be like, Hey, look, this is what I did when you were, <laughs> he'll show that to Cal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love it. Oh, uh, this is great. Well, thanks again, guys. Um, this is our second episode of the NIL show and uh, we'll check back. See you next more. time. See, See ya. Hey everyone, Adam Cook from Campus Inc. in the NIL store. Just wanted to say thanks again for listening and joining us on this journey. And as a reminder, if you ever need any team wear, custom merchandise, rec or youth league jerseys, uh, fraternity and sorority wear, or company merchandise, we're always here for you. You can find us at campus.inc. And of course, for all your NIL needs, nil.store.